0: Matthew 26 verses 26 to 29. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, of the, for, many for the beginning, sorry, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And the second reading, John 6, 53 to 58. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, So no one who feeds on me will live because of me. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever.
1: So one of the most common phrases that I would hear from my mom every time I would come home is 밥 which in Korean means, did you eat? It doesn't matter what time of the day I've come home, whether it's 2 in the morning, not that I would you know, sometimes I did, or like 10, right? Without fail, she would ask me if I have eaten. And we know that this is because it's a term of endearment. It's a way of saying, I care about you, and I want to make sure that you aren't hungry. It's something that my grandmother used to say a lot, and you know, I don't know if this ever happens to you, where they, you go over to your grandmother's house and you eat and you're full, but they just keep bringing out more food, and you're like, no, no, I'm full, I'm full. No, just eat more, just eat a little more, and they keep feeding you and feeding you. And I've noticed that I even say it to my own kids. You know, it's like, did you eat? Are you hungry? And it's because we care about our kids. We want to make sure that they're taken care of. We recognize that being hungry and having food, enough food to eat, is foundational. It's one of the most basic and foundational part of our daily lives. And this is possibly the reason, and, and Dale, I like the fact that you put that, the Korean up there. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. There you go. I didn't ask him to do that, but that's good. So this is possibly the reason why eating and meals is a common theme in the Bible. And let me just give you a quick overview of Meals in the Bible, which I credit to the Bible Project. It's a website. If you ever want to kind of get an overview of anything in the Bible, it's a great website to check out, and you'll see that, uh, yeah, it's great. So... I encourage you to do so. So in the Garden of Eden, we see God create Adam and Eve and gives them this garden for them to live in. And he creates the tree of life. And then there's the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And they are to eat from one tree, but not from the other. It's almost as if it matters what we eat or we become what we eat. And we know in the story that Adam and Eve, eating from the wrong tree leads to consequences and eventually death. Instead of eating from the tree that gives life, they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that leads to death. In their desire to be like God, they become less than what God had created them to be. And God continues to invite people to experience God and His life-giving ways through different meals and establishes different feasts for the people of Israel. And there would be seven feasts uh, to remember and celebrate celebrate who they were and whose they were. These dinner parties helped the people of Israel and the people of God to participate and to remember God's goodness and His life-giving ways. It was also a reminder of the promises that God made with His people. And we see with the people of Israel that they continue to eat from the false trees, the false gods, and the the false idols. And God expresses his displeasure by rejecting their their, their meals and their appointed feasts. The prophets during this time talk about the day when God will restore his, his people, even though they were unfaithful, he will be faithful to them and he would bring about a new feast where all nations would be invited to. Isaiah 25, 6, 9. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. Oh, who wouldn't want a nice, good pork bone soup paired with some nice 1811 Chateau de Kim? According to this one website, this, this wine is one of the most expensive wines or the best wines of all time. It costs $120,000. And uh, it's a wine to be paired with some foie gras. But, uh, you know, I think some pork bone soup would also work. Right? And in the New Testament, we see more of this theme around meals. Jesus attends a wedding and turns water into wine. Jesus broke the convention of that time, and he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus fed his followers by feeding the 5,000 and then the 4,000. And it's within this context that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And in our passage today in Matthew, Jesus is again eating with his disciples and what is important about this meal is that it was during the feast of the Passover. The Passover feast is one of the oldest feasts of, for, for the people of Israel and was a meal to remember and, in many ways, to reenact and reexperience the deliverance of the people of Israel from, the, from their slavery in Egypt. And it is during this season that Jesus does something different with his disciples. Usually during the Passover meal, the head of the household would begin the meal with Thanksgiving for the feast day and for the wine. The meal would start with greens and bitter herbs. And one of the children would ask, why are we having this meal? Where the father, usually the head of the household, would explain the symbols and how it related to the Exodus story. So here we see Jesus taking on the role of the head of the household and prays for the bread and the wine. What is different about this dinner is that Jesus adds uh, certain uh, words and sayings to the Passover meal with with these sayings. And here, Matthew seems to only record those new sayings of Jesus versus the regular Passover meal. So, for instance, a common prayer of thanksgiving during the bread would have been something like this. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe... Who bringeth forth bread from the earth? And this is what Jesus adds to this prayer of thanksgiving to the bread. And he says, while they were eating, eating, Jesus took bread, and he given thanks, and probably this prayer that we just read. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, "Take and eat; this is my body." Jesus here equates. His body to that of the bread of heaven, the bread that was given by God to the people of Israel in the wilderness, manna, the bread that is provided daily through the earth in the prayer by God. This bread is Jesus. And hence, he says, I am the bread of life. And after the bread, Jesus prays for this wine. For the wine. And there were usually four cups of wine that that are prayed over during the Passover meal. And most think that this would be the third cup of the blessing, or the third cup, which is the cup of the blessing. And the prayer that would be prayed during this cup of wine is this Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Do you recall Jesus saying that he is the true vine? To this, so Jesus adds this new prayer or new new thing to this prayer. And it says, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Here, Jesus equates the blood he will shed on the cross to that of the new covenant and promise that will be made for all people. Jesus makes reference to not only the blood of the lamb that protected the Israelites from death, but to a new way of living as the people of God. The Passover meal represents the liberation of the people of Israel from the oppression and slavery of Pharaoh and Egypt and the freedom they received as new people. With a God who is not oppressive, but rather is life-giving, And this God is fully realized in Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb that saves and frees all people from the oppressive power of sin and death, and therefore provides us with forgiveness. He is the new tree of life that leads to eternal life. Gene Templemyer, most of you know, was our former lead pastor, and he has a new book coming out, and it's a plug for him, called The Passover Mystery. In it, he talks about the Passover lamb as not a way of God forgiving us for our sins as a punishment, but rather the Passover lamb is more about the faithfulness of those people who obey God by putting blood on their doorposts. It points to the faithfulness and obedience of Jesus, who like the Passover lamb's blood was shed in obedience to God. Jesus was not being punished for the sins of the world. He was being faithful in obedience to God. And in that faithfulness, saves and brings forgiveness to others. So there is a nuance there, a slight nuance between being punished for their sins versus being saved from his faithfulness. So check it out if you want to read his book. It's coming out soon. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. We're in this new series called Awestruck and are looking at the mysteries of our faith and the mysteriousness of our God. And sometimes I know, like, and especially during this series, what I really wanted us to do was instead of having applications from uh, our, our, our sermons, I wanted us to just respond with mystery, with worship. That is our response. There is no application but to worship God. And so I invite you into this mystery, which we're looking at today, is communion. And some of you might be thinking, what mystery? It's pretty simple, right? It's just bread and juice that are symbols of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And at face value, I would agree with you. It doesn't seem that mysterious, does it? Like All we are doing is taking some bread and juice, eating it, and remembering remembering that Jesus died for us so that we can also be saved. And a lot of this has to do with our Baptist history and theology, that didn't want to say that the blood and the juice actually turned into the body of Jesus. So we wanted to kind of go against that idea from the Catholic tradition of of the bread and wine actually becoming the body and blood of Jesus. And so then we talked about it being more of a symbol, more of a spiritual presence. But one thing to note is that Baptists do believe, if they don't believe in the physical transformation of the bread and the wine, that Baptists and a lot of Reformers believe the actual presence of Jesus is in the blood or in the body, in in the bread and the juice. So it's not just a symbol. We also believe in Jesus' presence. What we don't believe is that it actually is the body and blood. And Baptists have held on to two practices, what we call ordinances, as sacred and part of every Baptist church. And one is baptism, hence we're called Baptists, and the other one is communion. And in baptism, it's it's a symbol of how we enter into the death and resurrection of Jesus and become a new creation. We are born again as the children of God. But it's not just a symbol, because we say this is a reality, a physical reality symbol of what is happening in our hearts. So if it's actually happening within our hearts, then obviously it does have a physical reality. It isn't just a symbol. It is something real. In the same way, in communion, as this new children of God, we are fed by God. We are fed spiritual food. That is the very presence of Jesus. Jesus. Baptists talk about communion, again, as a symbol, as a spiritual reality that that it represents. To me, nothing spiritual stays spiritual. Spiritual realities become concrete, physical, and real. For something to be just spiritual, never physical or concrete, makes it irrelevant. Who cares then? It doesn't matter what I spiritually believe or what I think in my head, if I don't act that out, if that doesn't become real in our world, then who cares? But as we believe in a God of creation, a God who made material things who, who, and beings like us, physical beings, we believed what is spiritual and physical are not opposites but more closely tied than we think. And I want to show you a video of a woman of a woman who was curious who experienced something she had no idea about and yet she was affected and impacted so physically and spiritually by that act that her life was transformed not just symbol- symbolically but physically so let's watch this together
2: I'm Sarah Miles and I'm about the least likely person you would ever meet stomping around the street in a black cassock or kneeling on the sidewalk or calling the mission to repentance like a complete religious nut. (laughs) I grew up completely without going to church. I never went to church as a kid. I had a very happy secular life. I was a war reporter, I was a cook, and I worked as a journalist for years. And I moved to San Francisco in the late 80s. And one morning, out of no more than complete journalistic nosiness, I saw an open door in this beautiful wood shingled building on Potrero Hill. And I walked in. It was St. Gregory's Church and a big open empty space with a wooden table in the middle of it. And I sort of slunk in around the back to where some people were sitting down and sat with them for a while. And it was pretty, it was sort of quiet and peaceful. People sang, they sat down, they stood up, they sang. And it was all sort of interesting. And then we walked up in the middle of that big empty room and stood around it and a woman lifted a plate of bread and said, Jesus welcomes everyone to his table. So we offer the bread and wine, which are Christ's body and blood to everyone without exception and she broke it off and handed me a piece. I put it in my mouth and I knew two things at the same time. One was that I was eating a regular piece of bread and I also knew that God, who I didn't believe in, was alive and was in my mouth. It completely short circuited me. All that I could do was stand there and cry and then run out as fast as I could before some Christian would try to chat to me. But I kept coming back after tasting that to find out what this experience was. I wanted it, I wanted more, I was hungry. And I became a part of that church and I work there now running the food pantry and working in the church.
1: God who I didn't believe in was alive and was in my mouth. "'Taste and see that the Lord is good.'" Sarah Miles experienced the very presence of Jesus even without understanding what was going on. She was welcomed to the table and was invited by others to be with Jesus and to eat and drink of his body and blood. In 1930, C.S. Lewis became a Christian and had a very limited view about communion, you know, something you do on special holidays, and as he matured in faith, he found a new appreciation for communion as a, as a mystery. People asked him, why hasn't he written about communion? Because he's written a lot about other things, about Christianity. And he shared how he felt inadequate, unable to fully articulate the mystery of it all. What Lewis did believe about communion is that it was the highest form of union with God on earth since it was a physical and spiritual communion with Christ who became flesh. He believed that it was the place where the veil between the worlds gets thin, kind of like in Stranger Things, you know, it gets thin, and where a hand from the hidden country touches not only our souls but also our bodies. And he calls this magic. Not magic of the sleight of hand, but magic in that something that has actual impact which cannot be explained or analyzed. Or another word for it would be faith. How does bread and water become more than just bread and water? How does something so simple as bread and water nourish our souls? It is precisely because Christ is present that he is with us. Because as we consume and take part at the table from one bread and one cup, we commune with the divine in community. We partake in God's inner life and divine nature. This is the mystery of communion, that through the very simple act of eating and drinking, we dine with Jesus, God in flesh, and are nourished not only spiritually but also physically. John Calvin, one of the pioneers of the Reformation movement, and a very smart fellow. This is what he says about communion. He says, now if anyone asks me how this takes place, I shall not be ashamed to confess that it is a secret too lofty for either the mind to comprehend or for my words to declare. i rather experience it than understand it. This is why I love the phrase in in our communion invitation that we come to the table not to express an opinion, but to seek a presence. It is to experience the presence of Christ. See, part of me really wanted to do communion after my sermon. Because wouldn't that have been the perfect way to, you know, kind of cap it off, right, for us to experience Jesus together? But at the same time, I didn't want our kids to miss out. Because even if they didn't understand it, even if they don't know what's happening, all they know is they're just having bread and juice and it's yummy, they are in the presence of Christ, and they are experiencing Jesus. So I didn't want that to be taken from them just for, you know, for us to have a more, I don't know, realized understanding of communion. So, so we did. We ate together as the people of Christ. So we come to the table together as all as children, seeking to be fed by Jesus. Take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my body, my blood, is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. We looked at how food was something that God had provided from the beginning, the tree of life that we are to eat from to that of the body and blood of Christ in communion. And when we take and eat and drink of Jesus, we become the body of Christ. And after Jesus said these things, he added in verse 28, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drank it new with you in my father's kingdom. Jesus makes it sound like there will be a time in the future when Jesus himself will drink with us again. Maybe at, a, at an after party. In Revelations 19, there is a picture of the end times where there is much praising and celebration. Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad, glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride, which is us... Has made herself ready. Then the angel said to me, Write this Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is when Jesus will drink with us again. There's going to be a great wedding feast where we are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And again, Does bread and wine matter? Yeah, it does. It matters to God because he created it. It matters to God because it points to the very being in whom is our ultimate sustenance. In fact, listen to what he will come back. Listen to what uh, uh, he says uh, about this in the future. Again, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. Here is a picture of the Garden of Eden being restored. Jesus, the Passover lamb, will be the one through whom the water of life will flow down. And the tree of life will be on each side of the river bearing fruit. And its leaves will bring healing to the nations. And the curse from eating from the knowledge of the tree of uh, good and evil will be gone. And the throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. When we eat and drink the juice, we are receiving the very person of Jesus. When we eat and drink, we do so with the hope of this new garden of eating being restored, where Jesus is the river of life, where he is the tree of life, and he is the bread of life. I'm not the best cook in the world, but during the pandemic, I've shared this, I have found this love for barbecuing and smoking meat and one thing I do find joy is cooking for others I wouldn't spend 6 to 12 hours or 18 hours if I'm smoking brisket if it was just to feed myself I'll just go buy it from the store right where they do that for you but I put in the work and effort because I want to make food for others for people I care about for people I love I want to give of myself to them. So even though I do it because it makes me feel good and I enjoy it, I do it in part because I get to feed the ones I love. And it's not that I'm just giving them a piece of meat and some, you know, wine or or bread. I'm doing it, I'm giving my time, my sweat equity, the energy I put into it, the lack of sleep I miss, I give of myself to this meal for my loved ones. In the same way, Jesus, who is, who is the creator of all things, wants to feed us, wants to provide for us. He wants to invite us to his table. And for our youth today, I want you to listen to this truth. Jesus is here with us and is welcoming you to this table. There's nothing that can be done. There's nothing wrong or bad or evil you could do that can separate you from Jesus. You are always welcome to the table, no matter what. You don't need to have everything figured out. You don't need to understand everything about Christianity or even what this table is really all about because actually none of us do. What we do know is that you are invited to the table of Jesus because he loves you. He wants to make sure you are cared for and have enough to eat. So don't ever feel like you are not good enough for Jesus. And if you do feel that way, that is exactly the reason why you need Jesus. Just as you would go to eat when you are hungry, it is when you are in need of Jesus that he welcomes you with open arms. God who created the heavens and the earth is the same God who created food for us to enjoy. Jesus invites us to the table and becomes food for us because he loves us and wants to feed us. This meal does not end with us, but it's a table that Jesus wants us to invite others to. It is a table that not only happens now, but will continue in the culmination of all things. At the table of Jesus... I hear God of the universe saying to us a simple question. Did you eat? Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you and worship you because you are a God who we say is unknowable, yet you have shown us so much of yourself. And even in that, we are awed and in wonder of the mystery of who you are and of the ways in which you want us to be in your kingdom. That some of it uh, confounds us, that we can't understand it all. Sometimes it seems backwards. But in it, you show us what really it means to live, what it means to be people who love And we thank you. Thank you that you give us hunger, that you give us thirst, and that you provide for us, that you love us like a loving parent who wants to feed their children. And you do that with all of your being. And so we not only remember you, but we experience your presence every time we come to the table. And we thank you for it. And